I didn't w really want to make a card game. It, it just kind of felt like when I was suggesting these things for magic and people kind of like got really mad at me. There was a lot of outrage about it. It just, all of a sudden I just had a core of a game that could be good. I, I don't look back at my time with magic in regret. There was a moment in all of it, which helps me with pretty much every situation that I'm dealing with now. Magic has the essence of something that needs to exist and it just hasn't been like fully utilized and let's see if we yeah. can make that happen meet zan syed zan was a high level magic competitor and the captain of team lotus box chances are if you follow competitive magic at all over the past couple of years zan's name would be on your radar but then COVID happened along with a few controversies surrounding zan and he disappeared now Zan's back, and he's channeling all of his energy towards making a new card game that builds on everything he feels is wrong with Magic the Gathering. This is the Humans of Magic interview with Zan Syed. Hey Zan, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How's it going, James? It's going good. Like we were talking before the recording, and I'm just excited to talk to you. I was just thinking the other day, what is Zan? up to recently you've always been like super nice to to me very generous and i just wanted to basically know how you're doing like how what are you up to recently maybe we'll just get right into it like what how, how is life uh life's good um i was living in la during the pandemic and i moved to atlanta in uh in october and uh i think this is the happiest I've been since probably, you know, 2019. Yeah. Since, since, since pre-COVID. Since pre-COVID, yeah. Dang. Okay, so what what is the what is your favorite thing about Atlanta? Like just well, environment-wise. Well, I grew up here. Uh, I would say, I mean, the weather's fantastic. A little bit more humid than LA. Uh, but you actually get all of the seasons. Uh, Surprisingly enough, I did miss the like an actual winter and and rain, which I didn't like probably experience twice in two years when I was in LA. So, um, and then of course, cost of living in Atlanta is so much less than LA. Oh, so dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in California recently, even just traveling, like just staying in Airbnbs. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how people live in LA. I mean, everyone has different standards, but it's like, you can't, yeah, I, I won't go on my rent, but it's, 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 uh, it's, it's up there in terms of prices and yeah. Yeah. It was insane. I mean, yeah, I basically stopped driving. I got an electric bike while I was out there. So I was just driving that around, uh, because the gas prices were also ridiculous. So, um, I'm just, yeah, Atlanta is just a much better place if you are, uh, like in a developmental stage of of anything plus yeah. uh, taxes that's not we don't even have to say anything <laughs> i was only in atlanta one time i think it was uh i think it was pre-covid i think it was a uh, gp atlanta or something it was uh, uh it was way it was like a legacy gp actually so oh. it was that was i don't know if you did you ever go to that i don't know it was the only time i went to atlanta i have been to a couple of legacy gps but 
that yeah that feels like a super long time ago because at some point they just made all the atlanta gps into limited and nobody here likes limited so that's got to be pre-covid it's got to be pre-covid because i was not i didn't leave mainland china for like during the entire covid era until recently right? oh when my I told you god I went to yeah, california yeah. so that was definitely a long time ago we stayed at this airbnb that was super nice like it was a it was a it was like a elementary school that got converted into a residence and oh. it was super nice inside but the but the uber driver was telling was was super freaked out when we when we uh when we got her to pick us up and take us to the convention center because she was like why are you guys living there like like <laughs> i guess it was like a really bad part of the city or something it's like she was like you guys should not be there but it, it was fine inside so. uh yeah no i've seen videos of that but i've never actually stayed in that that, that i like yeah, I would love to see pictures of that. <laughs> it would be a dream to be in like the basketball basketball court. Just wake up, just shoot some hoops. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a YouTube house, but only uh, we rented it for a little while. Um, but yeah, like, are you are you a nightclub person? Are you are you like doing social stuff? Like, what are you doing around Atlanta? I mean, just when you're not doing your grind, that is. Uh, yeah, uh, not much of a club person. I mean, I feel like that that was college. Um, I've kind of, I, I love to eat. Um, so I love going to nice restaurants. Um, uh, yesterday I went to an Indian restaurant. Um, I don't, I don't actually go to Indian restaurants that often, but it's like a, it's like a really unique one. It's called ch uh, Chai Pani, which, uh, converts to, uh, uh, tea water. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's like an Americanized, um, Indian restaurant. So how do I describe it? It's like, have you ever had a Bani Puri? I, I no, I probably not. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that is. So maybe I've had it, but I just never knew the name. That it's like, be. uh, it's like a hollow chip ball where you like make a hole in it and then okay. they put like chickpeas onions and like uh like curry water into it and then you like uh and then you are supposed to eat it in one bite it's supposed to be like a little spicy um but yeah it's it's like a like a traditional indian street food thing and so they have like a professional person who sits there and uh makes it for you and you can't really get that anywhere in the u.s uh so they like kind of make like a um like a homely experience so i like i love going there plus they have like the best uh lunch buffet ever so if you're ever in atlanta it's kind of like at a hipster place called decatur in atlanta so um but besides that um i'm currently dating someone and so um yeah we're, we're both foodies so we've been just going to a bunch of cool restaurants nice nice uh did you meet them in atlanta or i actually met them in new york i was visiting my sister while i was living in la and uh then i had a plan to come visit my parents in atlanta and so i just matched with them on a dating app and uh we hit it off and then they were like they live in atlanta and so when i came down to atlanta we hung out some more and yeah the rest so it's pretty serious it's pretty serious. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm happy for you. 
and, and I never had a chance to ask you. So are you are you of Indian descent? Are you is that your uh Pakistani? So Pakistani. Uh, yeah. The neighbor. My, yeah. The neighbor, yeah. So my my dad was my dad was born in India, but like it was like pre partition. So mm. it's like the migration from India to Pakistan, right? Because um there was like it was it's kinda like the US's civil war, right? If the North North and South had uh uh if the South had actually won, that's kind of the result that would have uh would have happened and that was like India and, and Pakistan. So okay. um so I, I'm kinda like in a in between area. So um where I definitely have always identified as uh, Pakistani, but um, uh, I'm definitely interested in going to India, which I'm planning to do within within the month, is um, and uh, explore my Indian roots. Awesome. So I guess three worlds: India, Pakistan, U.S. Are you you're born in the U.S. or? Yeah, I was born in L.A. Mm -hmm. Oh, and right, I, as you said. And then I grew up here in Atlanta. Very nice. Very nice. So yeah, what 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 um. Man, this is like a big question already, but what, what, I mean, have you felt differences in terms of like the climate of living in the U.S. like, you know, basically over the past couple of years, just in terms of maybe how you're treated or how you feel the environment is around you? Mm, yeah. Um, hmm. I feel like it, it's pretty normal when you're like when you're just like living here, but I, I feel like it becomes apparent on the hostility whenever, whenever I travel outside the U S which I used to do quite often, um, uh, before the pandemic, um, like I'd say, yeah, I, I, I traveled l like every month. If, if it wasn't a magic tournament, I was still traveling with my parents. Um, like I had a trip, at the end of 2019, where I ended up going to Saudi Arabia, I went to the UK, I went to Japan, I went like, I just like, in my time off, and when I'm when I'm going to tournaments and stuff, or I used to go to tournaments, just always travel. But it's like, like, I remember when I went to Japan, I ended up finding this uh, troll Trump doll. Um, this was when Trump was still president. This, this was, uh, the first time I actually went and that's kind of when I kind of, the outside kind of lets you know what's how, how the rest of the world feels about it. And you kind of can figure out how you feel about it. But when you're in it, you're just like, it, 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 that's just how it is, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so you're basically on us soil or on American soil, things are pretty like, they feel pretty normal, but when you're outside, then you start to feel other things or Definitely. other people make you feel other things, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Or if, if I'm engaging with Twitter too much, like magic Twitter can really make you feel terrible about the world at times. Um, well, they make you feel terrible about everything, honestly. So <laughs> it's pretty fair. <laughs> so once I learned to disengage from that and like delete the Twitter app and only go on Twitter when I get on uh, my computer, I felt like uh, my mental health got a lot better. That's my strategy right now, too. I've deleted Twitter from 
the app and it's just like only on desktop or only on my laptop i should say like yeah that's the way because twitter is not real man twitter is just like it's a it's another dimension yeah yeah it's yeah i mean I, <laughs> during the pandemic it definitely deteriorated my my mental health i felt like i was in a pretty in a pretty pretty bad spot i felt like every little thing and any little move or any wrong word, any wrong letter that you write, it, it, everything is just going to be. Everybody's just says. fucking on edge, right? It's just like, and, and people are on edge to like dogpile. It's just, it's just pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your story? Because I remember when we were talking a while back before you embraced the magic grind, you had, had you considered becoming a doctor or like studying for something else? Like what was, what was that all about? Yeah. So. I'd say my magic journey really began. Um, so I had just taken my MCATs. I was at uh, Georgia State University studying uh, to go to be a doctor. And so I just got my scores and then I was like, okay, I need to start the application process. But while I was doing that, I had some time off and I was like, okay, like what are things that I want to engage with? Like I played pickup basketball pretty much every week, if not more than that. And magic was one of those, you know, secret hobbies that I didn't really tell the person I was dating or my parents. It was just something I just went and did. And I was like, okay, this is my like secret hobby. And, uh, I had started going to a bunch of the local, uh, tournaments in college. And this is actually how I met Anurag. Um, we're both in Anurag Das, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was at tech, which was, uh, Georgia state's oh, yeah, neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would go pick him up and we'd go to the local store and yeah, we, that's how we kind of just became friends. He didn't have a car. So, um, we would play, um, and basically I started just winning at the local level and they would, ju they just kept urging me to go to the next level. And I ended up like top eighting an open and through, through the journey, basically what ended up happening is I decided that either I was going to make it to the highest level of magic, or I was going to just quit playing because I wanted to focus on, uh, med school. Uh, so I ended up giving myself two tournaments. There was like a GP in Memphis, Tennessee, and there was a GP in Miami. And, uh, so I went to, uh, Memphis and I ended up losing my winning in, uh, to to Patrick Chapin. Um, and he gave me some good advice. I was playing uh, off the wall deck and he was like, yeah, you should definitely, you know, keep playing, keep trying hard. You have a really unique deck idea. Anyways, I ended up going to Miami. This is kind of my last tournament. I was like, okay, if I, if I top eight, I'll make it to the pro tour. I'll continue playing magic. Otherwise, I'll stop playing. I ended up top eighting Miami. Um, and then it kind of pushed me into, um, like reconsidering life, uh, in that moment. I was like, I was like, okay, what, what, what should I do from this moment? And I was like, okay, let me focus on school for a little bit. Let me get some of these applications out of the way while I was doing that, uh, a new set came out. And I basically was like, I think I should go to another magic tournament and see if I can make it 
since I had top aided, it put me in the conversation for rookie of the year. And so I decided to go to Paris. Um, I called up my dad and I said, like, you know, I have all my applications good to go. Um, can I, you know, go go on like a trip before, you know, all this, like th things become too hectic. So I, my dad ended up like buying me a flight using SkyMiles and uh, kind of got lucky there, ended up going there. And I ended up losing in the finals and that kind of chained off into, into th the rest because I was already like, like not feeling great about med school. I just felt like if I became a doctor, I wouldn't be a great doctor because I was just doing this to fulfill my parents' wishes, um, society's, uh, wishes. I felt like everybody was dating me because like the girl I was dating was dating me because I was going to become a doctor. My parents Quote, were unquote, successful, right? Exactly. Uh, and stability. And I was a safe, safe person. And even my friends, I felt like they're like, Zan's going to be successful. Um, not my magic friends, but, uh, just like your, my normal, your normal friends, friends. My normal friends. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I felt, uh, I felt, I didn't feel like a person and that's kind of when I, you know, just kind of just bro broke down and I was just like, okay, what do I want to do? And, uh, I really didn't want to be a doctor and just went to my parents and that was not, a great conversation. Um, and I kind of just hit the reset button and I was like, okay, can I take all the credits that I have and somehow make use out of it? Cause I could finish with this bio degree or I could go, uh, go back, take an extra year. And, um, so I switched to finance and basically took the next year to just travel to magic tournaments and, uh, what do you call it? Study finance. Uh, that ended up, uh, going pretty well. I didn't end up becoming, um, rookie of the year, but I ended up like 12th during pretty much every single tournament, uh, that I played in. And that was like a thousand dollars or $2,000 every single tournament I went to, which ended up like chaining into like every tournament that I went to was profit or paid for itself. And so I kind of was just like living free off of magic. And, uh, that that's kind of when I realized that I like, uh, that I needed other people around me. I needed to build a name for myself and ended up starting team Lotus box because I felt like if I could, you know, share my information with, with them and kind of create, um, like a, a, like a philosophy of playing the game in a certain way that all of us could experience success. But not only that, we could also all take percentages of each other to maximize that none of us end up having a weekend where we don't, uh, end up making money. And so, you know, that experiment kind of ended up working. And then in 2019, you know, all of us were qualified for the players championship uh, ended up doing well at the player championship, split all that money. And we were just living, um, 
pretty free off of magic and it was kind of like the base that we needed in order to create something more um but due to unforeseen circumstances which were the pandemic which was the pandemic pretty much all that all that work was shattered but it was a, it was a great life lesson and um it, i don't think i would have been on the trajectory that i'm at right now if you know um things didn't fall apart the way that they ended up falling apart so many things i want to unpack but i'll start <laughs> with one going back a little bit what was your secret sauce for leveling up and doing so well as you did like on an individual level like from from you know playing those local events to 12 reading every event like what do you think was the what did you do like what was your mindset what was what was the what were the things that helped you get there <laughs> um when i like when i found the game and i saw that they had this high level it kind of like put me in like a weird mind state of that I wanted wanted to be good at this game. And so I just started watching old coverage uh, right before I went to bed and I would just like leave it on my laptop in front of me. And so I would just wake up in the middle of the night and just be at a random spot at a, in a random pro tour. Um, it, it was just like absorbing that information. That was the initial thing. But then when I went to the local scene, I didn't go with any friends. So whoever I was playing against the questions, I would always just like try to put my ego aside and always just ask from their perspective, was there anything that I was doing wrong? And people always had stuff to say. Um, and being just open to that. Then later on, I just would ask people who were standing behind me and watching because I became friends with them just naturally through that process. Um, I would just ask them, hey, would you have done a different play if you were in my shoes when you were watching? And uh, when, after when I did that enough and I heard enough thoughts, then I could just apply that by watching other people um, and watching other matches and just like, um, just like basically like hearing everybody's thought process, like, and then asking them, why not this way? And um, yeah. And then there would be moments where it's like a 50, 50 decision, uh, working through that, um, really levels you up. Right. So we eventually started getting into disc, not discords, Google hangouts together. And when a bunch of good, good players or decent players get into hangouts and we're looking at all of our, all of the hand, like all of our hands and different positions, it's like you're absorbing like all of these high level situations and hearing different perspectives on what you're supposed to do. Um, eventually when, eventually you absorb enough that you get into similar situations, it kind of becomes like a game of chess where, uh, Magnus often talks about, um, how he's like not the best puzzle person. But what he has over pretty much everybody else is the amount of time and his his instincts generally just kick in that allow him to like make the right decision. So in Magic, when you're down to the last five minutes, you can just you can just like turn to the turn to those um, quick decision making skills 
Um, and that ends up letting you win more of the times than your opponent. Having said all that, are there things that you did or qualities about you like before your magic career that helped you? Like, for example, in terms of being curious, asking questions, having a sense of humility, like where do you think that stuff comes from? Um, well, uh, well, the humility thing would probably be from like science class. Uh, I don't think I was a naturally inclined science student. I would say I was someone who just was willing to outwork people. And, mm -hmm. but, you know, I would, I was just willing to raise my hand and get the question wrong. Whereas other people I feel like aren't willing to be wrong in those situations. Um, and then it, it, the, the thing that differentiated me, uh, from other people has to be probably my ability to, to build outside the box. And that kind of comes from kind of like a, mis a mistake that I think like had when I was younger, which was, um, I got into Yu-Gi-Oh, like when Yu-Gi-Oh came out first set in elementary school slash middle school. And, uh, I would play with my friends and they would constantly beat me and I couldn't figure out why, but basically the answer was they would look up deck lists online and I didn't know you could do that. Uh, my parents would, my parents were pretty conservative on how much, how many things I could buy. And so they bought me like, uh, a, 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 a tin box, which came with like 30 packs. And I would just use those, only the cards in that box to figure out a way to beat people who were basically net decking. Um, and so I remember I went to one of my friend's birthday parties and he had like a tournament and everybody was playing like a really good deck. And I would just played a deck from that. And then I ended up winning and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I put myself in such a hard situation that later on when I found magic, um, you know, 10 years later, um, it, it I was still trying to do that. And that ended up allowing me to build stuff, which gives you the high, higher percentage of winning than, than pretty much, uh, any, any amount of skill could ever give you. That's still pretty remarkable because I feel like a lot of people are students of the game and they, they do these things that you said, but they don't quite get there. So I feel like there's still gotta be, and I know it's hard to like ask someone like, how did you become good at it? But there's got, still got to be like that extra factor somehow, right? Like, what did you do that? Did you just outwork other magic players was in the end or like just, just uh, all things considered? Well, um, I mean, a great example is, I mean, I did, I was also willing to outwork pretty much every, everybody, um, before the players championship, I would say like, I was, I was basically playing magic, like, like 18 hours a day and I would just fall asleep on my computer, wake up and just keep playing. And I remember right before decklist submission, uh, my back kind of like gave out and started spazzing and I couldn't, I had to lay down like right next to my computer and I had to put, tell Jeremy or Evan to type up my decklist and submit it because I just like spent all of those weeks just like, um, Basically what I did was I, we, we wrote out every single person, what 
each person was going to play in each format and then just tested every single situation. And I mean, I would say we guessed to about 90, 95, like we only missed like one, there's not a single, we wrote down every single person's correct deck, but for some people we had like two choices left. And even though we were like, I picked the correct one in terms of 70% and 30% likely to play the other one. We were pretty much right on every single deck. So that's why I would say I stole 95%. So in order to do that, you have to go and check out every single tournament that they've done well with and kind of just like figure out what their range is. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was just like, I'm willing to work pretty much everybody. And that's kind of the just reason a ton why. of research. Yeah. And then you give it back to the team and then you see these are capable players, but now if they have all the data and the best deck, what ends up happening? So basically, uh, you know, there were eight uh, Lotus box players, six of six of them, which made the players championship, three of us, which ended up making the top four and splitting all the money for the players championship. It can't get better than that. And Oliver who ended up winning the tournament was just playing all of our deck lists. Right. Mm -hmm. So he was essentially one of our teammates went to go work with Oliver and basically gave him all of, uh, I mean, gave him a lot of our information. And so it was like, in the end, it was, it was, it was only our decks that were doing well. And we were still willing to give away some of that information. And we, it would, um, I mean, I would say majority of top ma magic players are um, listening to a very small amount of people, right? And so if you know that a lot of a lot of tournaments just come down to preparing for like three or four rounds, which end up being the reason why you either top eight or you don't top eight. And so um, I would say that's become less and less because um, basically basically the skill element of magic has been kind of diminished and that's kind of the reason why i i've stopped playing as much as i used to because of cards that kind of break this this um uh, like break run fundamental rules of of magic that used to exist and then um on top of that it is uh there's just more data right someone can just go and uh look up how like what percentage um like uh, a deck is doing better than other decks so before when there was just moto you could get an edge now when there's arena and moto it becomes there just isn't much flexibility to create something new there just isn't yeah. enough cards yeah and i know you've been public about it about the increasing variance in the game i think that's what i would describe it as right uh, i hope that hopefully that's fair like just just the fact that it is in your opinion progressively less skill based because of cards or interactions that make the game evolve in a certain direction is that fair yeah i yes it, it is it, it is it's hmm so the answer is a little bit more complicated the answer is so when i was streaming um i there was a moment where I had broken the format in uh, historic uh, 
standard and alchemy. And basically the, the deck I had made was the top, uh, top deck, uh, above what do you call it? The second best deck. And the way you could check that was on untapped. So basically the, the top decks in all three formats were, were my deck and they were 10% above the second place deck. And then what, what ended up happening was players started playing my deck. So I ended up just playing the mirror match over and over again. And it's like a really weird, uh, scenario. You can't, it's like hard. It's a hard thing to replicate because you have to play so many hours, but when you're streaming 24 or 48 hours, like some crazy streams, you end up being able to accumulate that data. What I ended up realizing is, um, a lot of games came down to, uh, the amount of expressive iterations that you cast, right? So let's say I'm playing the mirror match. It didn't, it no longer mattered if I made more correct decisions than my opponent. What, uh, if you just took a notepad and said, I, I cast two expressive iterations and they cast four, they're like, I would win one in 10 games where they cast more expressive iterations than me. Okay. And so at this point, um, it's, it's, it's even crazier than that because it's, it's more like it's deterministic based on this one factor, right? Exactly. So now you can be like, okay, let's say I cast expressive iteration and I cast fable. The person who casts the combination, both of those is 90% to win the match. And then that's when I was like, okay, like I can't, uh, there's nothing I can do. It's like, sure. I can get my four outer, but, but I mean that that's it, right? It's, it's like 90% of the time. I'm not going to get the four outer or whatever analogy to poker, you know? Mm -hmm, exactly. Um, and so that's when I was like, that's, that's kind of when I, I feel like this is a good transition. That's kind of when I realized, um, I should, I should offer offer some solutions to this. And so there were some unique solutions that I talked to the community about. Um, so I would, well, while I was streaming, I would just be like, oh, hey, what do you guys think of this idea? I, I don't have the power to change magic to do this, but what would you think? So one of the solutions was, um, um, if let's say you're playing a monocolored deck let's say you're playing mono red that means that you have to start your hand with a basic mountain so now if you have, if you're playing a blue red deck you ha have to you have to start your hand with a island and a mountain and then if you're playing a three color deck let's say it's Abzan, then you have to start with a forest, a swamp and a plains, and then you would draw your four cards. And so this solution, um, I was like, okay, what do you guys think of this? And people kind of got upset and I was like, just think about it. It's you're breaking a sacred cow of magic, right? There has to be mana screw. There has to be that kind of variance. Yeah, but we could eliminate that and, but we could also play more cards. So if you really think about it, you could play a five color deck because you would start with five basics in your opening hand and you would draw two cards to accompany that. Right. What that would mean is the rest of your deck 
could just be all cards. They, you wouldn't need to play any more lands. Right. Right. But um, let's say you're playing a blue-red deck. You could play an island and a, you would get that island and a mountain. But the rest of your deck, um, it could, there could be more utility lands. You would never get mana screwed. You'd at least be able to play the game. And then on top of that, what you would do is you'd create more slots to play more of the cards that we've never seen in standard or or modern. It, it'd be like the equivalent of every deck kind of being a Yorion-style deck without it being a Yorion-style deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, lands as companions or like there's a guarantee that you can cast those spells of, of each color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it also promotes the original intention of magic which was color fixing right since you're since you have these basic lands then um what do you call it the like it's not like you can play archmage's charm right unless you're playing the mono blue deck um you you still and it's not like you can double spell easily in the five color deck where you go like growth spiral and is it charm because there's a blue overlap because the color fixing is actually being applied. On top of that, um, like let's say you're thinking thinking about legacy, right? If you think about like a combo deck in legacy, who, which splashes green, splashing a color now has a huge cost because you have to start your hand with a forest, or a wasteland is no longer as insane because uh, everybody starts with basics in their opening hand, and so. Um, this was like one of the suggestions, suggestions and people kind of like got, like got really mad at me. There was a lot of outrage about it. And so, uh, after when I was like, I felt like after when I hit number one in like every category, I was like, there's not much I can do. And so my mind naturally started thinking about these things and eventually the conclusion became, oh, I'm just supposed to make my own game. How do I, like, how do I, well, if I'm trying to make my own game, what should I do? And so I ended up uh, just writing out what the game would be. And then I just made all the cards and not all of the cards, but um, kind of like the fundamental amount of cards that you would need to, to play a match. And that's when I ended up going to New York um, to write out the rest of the game and also go to Syracuse to show it to some other, you know, pro magic players. Rossum was one of them. I basically picked the most pessimistic person I could think of who was John Rossum. And I was like, okay, if he, if he thinks this is interesting, this is worth my time. If he doesn't think it's interesting, then, then this was a nice trip vis visiting my sister and then visiting my parents. So, so you, you convinced John that that this was something worthwhile or he convinced you or confirmed it i guess yeah he just came back the next day and wanted to play and then the next day he wanted to play again and i was like okay he would never come back and want to play not magic at a magic tournament if right if he didn't think it was interesting so when i went to so Atlanta, yeah go ahead. so you created a, a new card game is that is that it i did mm -hmm. okay <laughs> What 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 state of development is it in? Is it is it like ready for prime time? Is it like um, what what? Or can you talk about it in that way? Or yeah yeah. So basically, what ended up happening? Okay, so yeah, so the the, the name of the game is Zodiac. It's Zodiac themed. 
Um, and it's like 12 pre-constructed decks. The stage that it's in, I finished the game in terms of if we, we could play in paper, but the idea is I want it to be on primarily mobile. And so I was like, okay, what's the best route for that? And it ended up being starting a startup. Um, and so, uh, we started going down that route. There's an incubator that we joined out here in Atlanta and, but basically we ended up hiring a full development team in India 10 weeks ago. Well, that was 11 weeks ago and we're, we just finished week 10 of development. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it's coming along pretty, pretty good. Um, I would say, what is it? It's currently March. We are planning to go to India April 20th and basically spend two weeks before they give us a, a finished product. So it'll be like May 5th ish is when we're aiming to have like our full alpha, um, stage product. Awesome. So it'll be available later in the year for people to potentially try. Yeah. So right now I have like a small testing team of magic players and other card game players that have been testing it on tabletop simulator. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we're making, we're making the mobile game on unreal engine, so it's going to look completely different. Um, so I mean like, yeah, 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 it's just been, um, a whirlwind of, uh, uh, of, uh, of events, but yeah. Well, without having actually played Zodiac, I gotta say you're probably one of the more interesting people to attempt a, a card game because one thing that always struck me is that in our conversations, whether it's about content or magic or other things, like you're always, you always struck me as being very multidisciplinary, if that's a word, I guess it is, but I'm not sure if it, if it's accurate, but it's like, you always seem to be inspired by a lot of things around you that are not necessarily like in the magic box. So I think that actually gives you a bit of a, an edge in addition to being a very high level magic player or were a high level magic player. And, but the question here is, you know, that there's a lot of card games that have been attempted in recent years has been like probably one notable one that's been quite successful, which is flesh and blood. That's that claims to be a little bit, um, lower variants, maybe ticks those boxes, uh, at least when I talk to players who are high level flesh and blood players, uh, and you're inspired by a lot of things around you, like in terms of, uh, just other genres of games as well. Right. So uh, it, are you, are you considering all of those things when it comes to building this, this game? Right. I guess yeah. it's a very like open-ended question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fab is a, a wonderful, a wonderful game. So, I mean, Part of the journey was, I mean, I didn't w really want to make a card game, to be honest. It, it just kind of felt like when I was suggesting these things for magic, it just, all of a sudden I just had a core of a game that, um, that, uh, could be good. And then it was just, okay, le let me just apply these theories to a game. And then it just kind of kept escalating. I also didn't want, want to do a startup but it was the natural way to fund a, a mobile game. And so it just kind of kept going in that direction. So, um, yeah, it wasn't really like a forced situation. Um, I also think that I don't think 
so let's say the pandemic happened um i don't like the pandemic happened right right at like let's say i started making a card game at the beginning of the pandemic i don't think i had the insight uh to make a card game and it was streaming that actually allowed me to figure pretty much everything out i think that your mindset as a pro player and then your mindset as someone who's trying to reach a normal audience or someone who's uh like playing the game for the first time is uh is is different i kind of lost track what, what was the original question again <laughs> no problem so i guess how inspired are you by other games that around you in terms oh, of creating Zodiac? So yeah. much, so much. Um, I would say a lot of it was actually, th there's a huge piece of it that comes from chess. Um, yeah, there's a huge portion of, uh, of the game that comes, uh, from chess there. Um, I really like the idea of X amount of pieces being same for both players. Uh, X amount of cards. And then um, we have like this phase, it's called the eclipse phase, where when you run out of cards, basically all of all of your cards uh, gain like, do you know what Yawgmoth's will does? Yeah, uh, they basically get, uh, uh, what's it's like Breach, right? Uh, you can replay them. Yeah, you yeah. can basically replay all those cards. And once you use them there, they end up exiling. So there isn't really a way to... Um, what do you call it the to to finish in a draw and it's the best of one um but uh, the the major difference is in magic you if, even if you have like the best deck your win rate is probably not going to be above 70 75 percent if you have like one of the most broken decks of that time um in this game if you if you are the better player um you're gonna win 95 if you make more correct decisions you don't even have to be the better player because a not better player can make more cor correct decisions you're going to win about 95 percent of the time um but not only that it when we were talking about expressive iteration and those cards they they break this rule and i would say this is like the most important like theory that i want to apply to um like it could be applied to pretty much any game and it's called like the equivalent exchange theory um basically expressive iteration is like two cards right for 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 the cost of one um elvish visionary is probably one of the earlier cards that kind of breaks it you get a one one and then you draw a card and so you end up like breaking equivalent exchange not only does that beat break equivalent exchange but like drawing a card for your turn would be uh breaking equivalent exchange and so something that's like uh, a feature in zodiac is you don't draw a card per turn you draw a card whenever you play an action and that kind of like like let's say you cast an instant or a sorcery every card would say draw a card after it but you wouldn't draw a card at the beginning of your turn and so it keeps this like parody of like both players are always drawing a card but there are no cards that gain you more card advantage than kind of your opponent and and so what what it ends up being about is about the the decisions you make rather than um who ends up drawing more of those cards that would essentially double up 
Plus, mm -hmm. you, you can't get uh, you you can't really get mana screwed or flooded in this game. Lands have more application, and then also you start with uh, what do you call it? You start with two lands in your uh, opening hand. Lands are called gemstones because you know uh, the zodiacs have gemstones associated with them, so stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And also, it's copyrighted in Magic. I, I assume like tapping and mana and all that stuff. So you got to go a different lane. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask the Devil's Advocate question. Right. Well, I have two. One is, are you worried about the game becoming too far on the skill axis? Because Magic has always thrived on being, or I should say, a game that has mass appeal thrives on having some element of randomness or. Uh, comebackness if that's a word like be able to come back now you've you mentioned the expressive iteration thing being an example of not coming back but but i, I think in general there are games that are still embraced because they have more uh, random number generator elements to it so are you worried about that when it comes to zodiac um well i mean that's or it's a... okay because I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna make the game that i'm gonna make my vision right no no, no no that's a great question so you right now we're we're definitely in this vague era of games and uh this honestly comes down to the monetization system right um so the monetiz um so how do i describe this okay so yeah so the monetization system is um kind of, like it's kind of like not not like a league but um Imagine that you have an eight player pod where you're playing in a single elimination tournament, right? If you're playing in a pod and each player puts in $1, let's say we end up giving first place $3 and then we end up giving second place $2 and we end up giving third and fourth place $1. That's $7 that's redistributed to the top four people. And our, com our company ends up taking that dollar what 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 that's creating is a system where like the the game has um more meaning in terms of like if you learn to make the correct decisions the reward will will like help you out monetarily right now i think that there's a lot of things in the in the gaming gaming culture that aren't um it, like you th there's no stakes so if someone uh makes a mistake it can kind of be brushed under the rug so if you if you can imagine a world where you apply this monetization ma model to every game like let's say you apply it to to Fort Fortnite or League of Legends right in League of Legends there's a culture of running it down where 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 people have accounts and they, they there's, there's no need for accountability where let's say uh people tune in for a match and one person ends up leaving or ends up running to the other team and basically sacrificing themselves um just because uh they're having a bad time they lost nothing doing it because it's a it's a free account and losing the match has no real downside and they're kind of like just done playing the game but the moment that they have a dollar on the line there's a there's a amount of like like the, 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 there's like an accountability portion that they cannot uh if they if they just throw it they're just throwing away a dollar 
And the moment you have a dollar in it, that kind of just all goes away. And so if you apply this across the board, it will create a culture where things will be pushed in the direction of more similar to sports, where uh, the community is looking for everybody, the person who's making more correct decisions. So you can imagine people watching streams uh, to become better. And that will directly translate in making more money. Um, but it's, and so, so, I, so you're basically saying it's okay to be more on the skill axis. If you have the right incentives, like if you created, uh, more like basically like the poker model where it's like your money is literally on the line. So you will be incentivized to make the best decisions possible. Basically like putting, like making every match of magic, a, a money match or a money draft kind of thing. Exactly. Um, there will still be like uh, like a free free play because I think that sandboxes should always exist. You should be always able to test uh, whatever idea you have or whatever style of play you want to make. But uh, making the correct decision uh, like translates in so many different ways. In a way, I think that. Uh, it was kind of the real education that I needed. I think uh, I ended up during the pandemic, I ended up getting diagnosed with ADD and that's something that I didn't realize growing up. But the thing that could hold my attention was games. And so if it, I really truly feel like magic gave me an alternative education and a way to make decisions more clearly. So when I took this, ended up taking this path and I needed to catch up on the startup world, it was much easier for me to read the books that I needed to read, to make the decisions that I needed to make in order to get to this, this, this point. And I think that, um, games are kind of like a, you know, a, a microcosm of, of the world. Right. And if you can figure out how to, like su succeed in that small microcosm, then you can, then it's much easier to navigate like the, the, the huge world. Right. Um, and so it's just games currently the way that they make money is from microtransactions. And basically they treat people kind of like cows where they're like, okay, let's try to get as much as we can get out of them before they realize before they wake up. And magic at, at some, at some level started doing similar, similar practices, if not worse, um, where one of magic's beauties is that you can build any deck that you want to. But at this time, it's like, you can build any deck if you want to for a thousand dollars and losing that creativity is, um, is, uh, is really, uh, really sad. Um, uh, like I think that magic, the reason why it's been so successful is because it's the best card game and it, it always has been, but it, at the end of the day, it's just the formula that we just need to apply it again and kind of just escape, uh, escape the, the corporate entity that has taken over it. Yeah. So, um, this this goes to my next question is not the other devil's advocate question is uh there have been a lot of people who have been intense into magic uh 
that said, I don't like these things about magic. I don't like A, B, and C. I don't like X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to go and make my own game. And some of them are, 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 are pretty good, like Fab, we talked about. Some of them have not succeeded. So are you aware of, you know, those dynamics? Because, like, there have been many people that have come before you that basically are saying, like, a variation of what you said. I don't like magic. I want to do it this other way. Um, yet somehow magic is still the dominant card game, at least. So is that something that, like, I'm not trying to poo-poo, like, anyone trying to do anything new or create, like, don't get me wrong, like, that. give you my background, like, that's definitely not where I'm coming from. You should always be, like, building and creating new things and trying. But um, is that something that is in the back of your mind as well? A hundred percent. I mean, I think that um, the the doubt needs to to exist in order um, in order for it to be motivation and in order, like... The doubt is always there, right? Like we're we're our harshest critics, hundred um, percent. In terms of uh, other people doing it, um, I feel like honestly there wasn't a need for it for the longest period of time, right? When when it was just Moto and Arena didn't exist and Hearthstone didn't exist, um, Magic wasn't being pushed into the direction that it's in so i think that hearthstone in a way was good for magic because it pushed magic to actually make the thing that it did but at this point they're both pretty much the same and they've gone down this rabbit hole of just trying to extract as much money as they can out of uh each person and they've applied a bit of of League of Legends tactics, which are like when they when a new character comes out in League of Legends, it has to be more powerful than everything else, and that kind of like then they'll nerf it or they'll or the next thing will come out and they'll keep happening. And once Magic and Hearthstone started doing that as well, it everything that you bought ended up having like less value. So I think that. Um, what Fab has done is like really sp spectacular. I think the reason why that they were so successful is because they they're they're based out of New Zealand, and so having that like area that didn't have Magic's exposure and not in the pri like primary breeding ground of Magic allowed it to have a base that didn't need to respond to the, the Magic the Gathering base, which is the U.S. Right. Um, just like that, I think that them waiting before they came to the U.S. and having a great product and it being successful and then coming to the U.S. with that already successful product allowed it to continue to succeed. And I think that like a lot of the, my inspiration came from uh, Fab and then also Lost Ark, which is the Korean MMO which came out, I think, three years before it came out in the U.S. is a pretty genius approach to... They know that the U.S. audience is hypercritical of any new game that comes out. And when it has bugs, this audience doesn't allow it to get to... Like, doesn't help it, doesn't nurture There's no it. grace period, right? Yeah. Exactly. And it, they just completely destroy it. So Lost Ark, they didn't even... Uh, they waited until they had the perfect game, no bugs, nothing. Three years after that, they launched during the pandemic and it ended up surpassing 
WoW and Final Fantasy for uh, a couple of weeks, but they ended up falling back down. But still, that's like not an easy feat. They're they're still one of the highest grossing games of pretty much all time. Um, but just like that, I think that my primary audience, my my first breeding ground, the reason why I'm actually going to India is because India never had that Pokemon renaissance. And when you look at even the World Cup for Magic, there was no India team. But India houses more than a seventh of the world's population, right? And we know that they have a, um, what do you call it? A, uh, a high amount of mobile game players. They actually have second to China, but within the next five years, they're, they're number one. But at the same time, China does a great job at uh, having their in-house companies reach uh, the mobile gamers of its of its own audience, whereas India has failed to fail to do that. Uh, India has re- always been uh, influenced by by the West, right? And some uh, a major thing that you can see is uh, the chess community in India is absolutely insane so they believe in that fundamental of getting better at getting better at something and that translating into more wins uh i mean i think that they have the most grandmasters currently um or like they're they're either second or like it they just have like a massive community where i've seen like uh comedians who have turned to chess streaming um oh word yeah okay. yeah that have turned to chess streaming and have become uh like multi-million um uh subscriber youtube channels and so um so i think that um a, a card game that the base is india like if if i'm able to reach even point one percent of their their base that will be more more than the amount of magic players that exist and so um i also think that you know the monetization model that i touched on briefly uh you know the idea is like let's say i wake up in middle of india and all i have is my cell phone and 50 dollars worth of credit on this game that i should be able to use the skills to to get myself out of that situation. I wish it was possible to implement this on chess, but the thing is chess engines exist, so it doesn't allow for a fair playing field. I also believe that people shouldn't be always, um, what do you call it, paired against someone who is similar, similar ELO. I think that it should you should be dropped into a pool where it's kind of like the real world it's kind of like a poker tournament where you can get paired against either a whale or a fish, any type of uh, person. And they don't know what you are and you don't know what they are. Um, and um, like, yeah, the, with that being said, yeah, the, I think that, um, uh, yeah, I think that uh, the card game has a shot in yeah. India at least. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, start in India and, and expand, right? But uh, definitely don't forget about China either, as you mentioned. Like, it is 100%. up there in terms of games. They have no history with Magic, barely any. Uh, that I know now, having uh, a lot of history with League and other games. But uh, that might also be a good place to potentially go. Sometime. No, 100%. I mean, I just, like, it's so much easier. Since I can speak the language and our development teams there, it it's it, it makes it easier but of, of course i want to go to china of course i want to go to the us but it was like really important that i pick one yep. market and uh you know i even considered pakistan or dubai um but uh like their mobile game users were not um were just not like as untouched as uh india surprisingly mm-hmm and I'm sure you're aware of this as well, is that every decision you make from a game design perspective is just about trade-offs. Like, yeah, you could say that, uh, yeah, I don't want to have a ladder or I don't want to, I don't want to be more on this skill versus like luck axis. And I like, there have been literally millions of people that come before us that have like analyzed everything. They try like, like tweaking these knobs differently in games and they come up with different results. And of course, in the end, it's like a, it's like any technology or anything, right? It's like it comes out and you don't really have any control over it. The market will, in the end, dictate it. But you try to put your best foot forward, right? So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think it's impossible to know what the right answer is. Like, we have a couple of advisors, and we've had like a couple of fundamental disagreements on the way the mon- monetization model is going to be implemented. But at the end of those conversations, we're like, you know, the market will determine which one ends up being the right one. N- None of us know. We're just going to follow the data once the data starts being accumulated by uh, the mass amount of people, uh, once our alpha launches. Nice. So what is what is something, um, I mean, you've been a leader before that, whether it's uh, Team Lotus Box or other settings, but like, what is something about running the startup and building this thing? Like, what is something new that you've learned in the last little while? Something new that I've learned. Um, Maybe like a key lesson that you've, a key level up or a key lesson. Um, I mean, mm, I mean, you kind of, you kind of just don't know where you're going to end up. Uh, like if you told me that I would have stopped playing magic at the end of 2019 and then decided to make my own card game or was going down the startup route, I wouldn't really have believed you. Or I, I just think that, you know, kind of like you just have to be willing to go with wherever, like the wind is willing to take you and then just try to make as many right decisions as you can, knowing that you're going to make a lot of wrong decisions along the way, but learn from them and, and just, you know, you just got to keep moving forward. Things are going to be bad. Um, uh, I'll wrap it up with, uh. I'll wrap this thought up with uh, the rule of thirds. I think that if you're doing something that like when, whenever you're doing something, as long as like you're happy uh, 33% of the time and you're, you feel nothing 33% of the time and you feel sad or like disheartened 33% of the time. Like, I think that that balance is uh, as long as you have that and it's like not tilting in any direction, I, I feel like you have the ability to, keep moving forward or that you're on the right track at least holy crap i i love that i've never heard that before and uh i'm just thinking of it applied to what i'm doing now or maybe what i was doing previously with startups like that is so true that is 
like i guess things are either like pretty bad or pretty neutral like i guess it's never been really good at least in my experience maybe it's also like how i'm wired mentally but i, I that's a good perspective i like that a lot yeah thanks <laughs> um yeah that's definitely not mine uh definitely i think one of our advisors said it or um something i was reading said it um but wherever i heard it uh it just it just kind of just stuck with me also use notion i think that notion is has really changed my life notion um, is awesome yeah <laughs> uh, what what what's like one of the man this is also a cliche question but i i, I really want to know what's like one what's the biggest challenge you've had so far in this startup journey biggest challenge um so when i'm so basically when i decide so jeremy who was on team lotus box with me is actually my co-founder so he had flown out to la three months of non-stop testing and then i kind of was like okay we have to go down the startup route what is the first step we have to take and so a really tough decision was i needed to stop paying rent in la and i just needed to pack up my car and move back to atlanta moving in with my parents um and that was really tough because i felt like i can still make everything work in la but i the reason why I would be staying would be because of my ego, because how could I move back in with my parents? But in terms of um, what's the right play in order to, to for this startup to have the highest chance of success, it's what I like have to do. Like I needed to do it and I needed to put my ego aside and just just get in the car and drive back. And that's what that's what I ended up doing. But the real, the biggest ego check was definitely when we walked into the incubator the first day and it's like a entrepreneurial hour with a lot of like really successful people. And they kind of asked, they, they asked us what, what, what our, what our company was, what, what it was about. It's kind of like a, like a, like a like pitch yourself basically like what, yeah. introduce yourself. What, what are you about? Right? Exactly. Uh, and they completely destroyed destroyed us where there was a lot of points at which i couldn't answer those questions and i remember my um i have a couple of friends that are also in various startups and have been for, for the past couple of years and they like i hit them up they sent me a list of books and i just like read angel i read like uh I have this long list of books but i just started reading yeah. books lean startup like there's a whole bunch of like uh <laughs> Bibles, I guess, in, in that industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I didn't know what the terminology was. So I couldn't, I, I felt like I couldn't translate uh, a lot of the things to them. And I also hadn't worked it out in a way that is appropriate for like, yeah, I might be doing it right for a card game player, but I'm not doing it right for uh, like the average person or uh, someone who might be interested in investing, but just, just can't because I haven't been able to reach them. So yeah, them completely tearing me down, but then coming back the next week and trying to answer the questions better and then coming back the next week and next week and next week. Um, and yeah. And uh, yeah, I would say, um, you know, just willing to start over again, even though we had like a pretty built out thing with team Lotus box, you shouldn't, 
like you're never big enough to like, you know, hit the reset button. That's always the toughest thing to do because, um, I know you have been in the past, like very entrenched in magic. Right. Um, I dare say it's probably, it was probably a big part of your, your identity. Right. I mean, I think a lot of us that a lot of people I've talked to on this podcast, that has definitely been the case. Like most of your life, a lot of your, I don't want to, your meaningful years on the planet have been like magic related. Right. Uh, you know, to maybe to to exaggerate a little bit, but uh, certainly I felt that in the past, I yeah. felt like magic was a big part of who I was good or bad, good and bad, good, bad, ugly. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's very hard. Like I, I just, uh, there are a lot of people today that like, sometimes I, I look at what they're doing and it's like, should they really be doing magic? Like uh, it's sort of like I'm doing magic cause there's nothing else I can do. Um, and I always felt like you, you, you sort of transcended that. So I'm glad you're going in this new direction. I, I just feel like um, it's always tough, right? It's always tough to make changes, magic, yeah. magic related or not. So, I mean, it's life. Um, is There's just changes in life. And I think that I, I don't look back at my time with magic in regret. I often look back and there was a moment in all of it, which helps me with, with pretty much every situation that I'm dealing with now um i mean like i mean th th there's just so much i think um but i do think that uh, at, at times i feel bad because i feel like you, it, let's say magic had the same system as poker i think that a lot of those people that are now you know kind of stranded and left on an island um with just magic, um, I, f I feel like those skills should be able to translate. It's like being a professional athlete, but you can't, um, you, you, you're not allowed to like, there's not like a league for you, right? Like, like you, you don't have an option to go play in Australia if you didn't, didn't get into the NBA or go to China or go to, uh, the Euro league, right? Like magic just isn't really really have that i think the closest thing is poker itself but that's still a reset button because um alex might be doing well uh what um but uh, this is alex uh, bernchini right Just yeah, to yeah yeah might be doing well in poker now but um that uh that the, there was a lot of moments in that transition from magic to poker where uh he he really struggled um, he called me and he was just like, I'm miserable. I'm losing a lot. Um, and it, it, hitting a reset button on something with that much variance and not being able to translate magic purely is, um, you know, I think it's sad. I think that what I'm trying to build will help alleviate that. Cause I really do think that like the, this magic has, uh, like the essence of something that needs to exist. Um, and it just hasn't been like fully utilized. Um, and let's see if we yeah. can make that happen. Just a, just a totally like off the wall thought as well. Uh, you know, this is kind of a software analogy, but is there a future where like magic, obviously it's very difficult because wizards owns the IP, but could there be a future where the game engine is like open sourced where um, you know, then you could apply your different 
rule sets and have your own like leagues and tournaments and things like that. Have you ever thought about that? I'm, I'm maybe you have, and I'm just, and, but of course this is wishful thinking, right? But I, yeah. I, I think about everything that we just talked about and like, if magic, the game is so still so solid, like, is that a potential future? Could that happen somehow? I, I don't know. Like, do you have to be a billionaire and just like buy the IPL from wizards so you can go indie? Like, I don't know what would have to happen. Yeah. I mean, something that I don't say, I say often, I have said it to, a couple of people i'll say it because i feel like uh the uh, the moment calls for it um yeah like i feel like let's say this route or whatever route in in my life ends up being successful i will go back and buy magic and i do want to kind of set it free um yeah i think that uh that there is potential for that but as far as right now goes uh i don't think that there's a the chance a chance i mean the only thing that i heard that could result in that would probably be uh i don't know if you remember john finkel was trying to get his uh firm to to, to own a controlling stake in wizards or hasbro something like that exactly so that could have been a move but also it's hard to predict um those are profit driven motives so i can't imagine that it was to set it free. <laughs> so it's like absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it's like you might come in a certain with a certain intention and it ends up not being that way, right? Yeah, because I'm not sure if it would give John the entire power. I don't, I don't think he was the CEO or residing over that firm or whoever the main controlling person is. But um, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, it's going to take a billion dollars um, or probably more about the time. Uh, not to wish any uh, uh, corporate entity any ill will, but maybe just a few down quarters and that valuation would go down and maybe then uh, things might be different, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it definitely seems like it's headed that way, um, but let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so are you completely removed from magic now? Are you no longer involved mm. in any shape or capacity or do you still fire up the old magic online once in a while just to play? Um. Uh, no, I, I do still play Magic. Uh, I did play some today. I'm actually qualified for the RC in San Diego. So, oh, nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. So I'll be going to that. Um, but in terms of like, I don't really play weekly. I don't really play on the weekends. Um, I played like one RC and I ended up winning it. And then um, and then I I love California and I miss it. Um, and plus Anurag was going, so I felt like it was worth my time. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, by the way, shout out to, uh, the first strike podcast, those boys in, in Canada, I listened to their podcast recently and, uh, I think, uh, it was Derek or misplaced ginger that just went off on saying like all magic players are terrible as usually, as he usually likes to say all the decent magic players in the game no longer care about magic or play about magic. So therefore all magic players are terrible. And, uh, is there any, uh, hot take time? Is there any truth to that? Cause you're no longer like active in the game so much. And a lot of your, maybe your, your peers, I'll call them are no longer as active or they're kind of like, I guess what he was implying is that people are just kind of dialing it in when they show up for RCQs or RCs now. Um, is that, is there some sort of like truth to that claim? Yeah. I mean, it, the, unfortunately there is uh truth to that a lot of a lot of players have quit uh especially in terms of like the paper scene i mean mis misplaced ginger usually is like giving is 
giving safe hot takes, I would say. Uh, like, <laughs> okay. even though it sounds outrageous in in terms Kinda of true. magic Twitter, yeah. it is outrageous. But if, yeah, I mean, it's just um, like I watched a little bit of standard coverage today. I would say I don't think that there was a round that I saw where people were not making some pretty massive misplays. So, um, yeah, and yeah, just the incentive has just kind of gone up gone away it's not as much as it used to be there used to be like an overarching narrative for someone to need to do well in order to achieve something more than that so that kind of only comes about rcs and then pts and even then um even then a lot like it, it comes down to a combination of things a lot of times players who do make mistakes they're not punished because at the end of the day, if you drew more expressive iterations, you're still going to win. So it it's hard to figure out. Um, like, this, the game isn't telling you anymore that a mistake is actually bad. It's more so telling you that um, drawing better is more important than any, any mistake you could ever make. Mm. Another another point that he made, and I'm so sorry, Derek. If you're you're definitely probably not listening to this, but um, there's because I just listened to the podcast last night, but uh, that's why it's fresh in my mind. Like he was also saying that you know all the good players in Canada are kind of like centered around Toronto, mm -hmm. and so who the heck is gonna like travel to Vancouver for like like you have to really want it to like travel to Vancouver now to like play in another one of these qualifiers? And he was just saying like the the skill level that he saw in vancouver was like a lot weaker than toronto just because like like who would be in, it's it's about incentives like so that that's also like super interesting and i have no idea if this is like i'm not in that world but i'm just curious like if you have any thoughts on my paraphrased take well uh vancouver is actually where my first pro tour was and i had i have cousins in vancouver and in toronto um i think that vancouver is like a honestly a prettier and cleaner LA. So I think that if like travel from Vancouver, by the way, so I totally hundred percent agree with that. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I freaking <laughs> yeah, love yeah, it. I, I, I'm Canadian. I grew up in Vancouver. Like I was in Vancouver. I've been in Vancouver since like 89. I'm it's... in China now, but I, I, that's my home. So yeah, yeah, I would say Toronto is so much worse then Vancouver is not even close. So I think that's... Don't, don't say anything bad about Toronto just on, account of, <laughs> on, on my account. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's not your account. I mean, traveling to both many times. Um, I mean, I always had different experiences, but I would say, like, it's like traveling to California from Atlanta now. It's, what do you call it? Like, that that used to be a, one of the whole reasons why you wanted to play in the Pro Tour is to, to, to travel to places. So I think that I don't... I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with uh, not wanting to go to Vancouver. <laughs> All right. So, Zan, this has been an awesome conversation, man. I just want to give you a little bit of space here. If you want to, is there anything that you want to plug, like in terms of telling people about your project or about where the people to can find your work or like anything of that kind? I mean, yeah. If you if you want to follow me at Zan underscore Sayed, uh, these days I'm not really. Um, trying like trying to grow any of those but eventually when the game comes out um then i will kind of have to um i just prefer not to be front facing <laughs> if i don't have to. <laughs> fine stealth mode for a while well that's good that's good keep it keep it low-key until uh until things are ready yeah yeah 100 um 
but yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, I love the conversation and I mean, I've always thought of you as, um, kind of like an older brother figure. Um, and, uh, you, you've always been, um, really nice to me and, um, yeah, thanks again. I appreciate that. And I gotta, I gotta end with like one, one story, right? Uh, it's just involving you and, and I, um, uh, when I said you were generous, I, I was not joking, right? Because I mean, full disclosure, you know, you have helped with my venture in the past, Cardboard Life. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, I remember when I was just starting to get into Magic Online because I was uh, very late to it. I was one of the people that learned Magic Online, like, just a couple years back. And um, I, I still remember, I didn't take you up on this offer, but I think at the time, it was, like, right after, like, Lotus Box had cracked Modern and uh, I think Urza was already banned and... Uh, a lot of things were happening and I was wanting to like start playing that format and you were, you were really like generous. You just said, Hey James, like, um, if you want, I can lend you any deck you want and just, just on moto. And, uh, I didn't actually take you up on that offer cause I was afraid of my addictive personality and getting really sucked into a format and just never leaving. But, um, I've always like, you, you always give me good vibes, right? Just, just on the record. Like I always felt like, um, uh, you know, you've always been kind of generous and of course, um, Anurag is, uh, by now, like a really good friend of mine as well. Uh, I actually recently had a, a super deep dive on him on this podcast, like just in terms of how he does all the coverage stuff. And it was just like, it's just nice to get all that behind the scenes stuff. So I, I, I'm really, uh, this is kind of full circle, man. I'm really, really glad that you took the time to, to talk to me today. Yeah, no, th- thanks again for, for having me. Um, yeah, I appreciate it.